I recently got the following question on one of my videos. This is from Chris Cotting who asks, what does the Bible say regarding interracial dating and marriages? And, you know, does the Bible teach that it's wrong is the question, or does it say that it's right? Now, some actually do say that the Bible teaches interracial marriage is wrong, and they will try to advocate for that in the name of Christ. Also, in addition to that, now that's a minority, that's, a, I think, a small group of people, but in addition to that, there's a lot of skeptics and atheists who would like to attack the Bible saying that it is a racist book. Um, this is, of course, not true, but what I want to do right now is give you the case that they make, the case that those who, who try to say the Bible's against interracial marriage, we'll talk about that phrase in a minute. I'm going to give you the case that they make, and then I'm going to respond. So first right now, let me build the case the way they do. Let me be the one advocating, advocating, you know, um, for this, the Bible's against interracial marriage. Then I'll respond to it. Then I'm going to offer you the one marriage relationship that the Bible does actually forbid for Christians today. And it is actually very important that we listen. So here's me being the advocate against interracial marriage. I'm about to re refute myself, but here's how they build their case. The, the handful of Bible verses, there's not many they can use, but they do this. They say, one, God separated us by race. He obviously meant us to stay apart. And so when they say God separated us by race, they mean, well, you know, Acts 17, it tells us that God has determined the allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling. And then in Genesis 11, we have the Tower of Babel, the second biblical passage that I can use to promote this view. And they say, well, God purposely separated us in the Tower of Babel and we're supposed to stay apart. That's his intention. Second reason to say that interracial marriage is wrong, supposedly using the Bible, um, is that God forbids interracial marriages in Deuteronomy chapter 7. In verse 3, it says, you shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons. So there you go. There you have it. End of story. Number three, some say there is no Jew or Greek. This is a response to those who would advocate for interracial marriage, saying there's no Jew or Greek. Well, well, they'd say some, yeah, you know, the passage in the scripture, it does say in Galatians that there's no Jew or Greek, there's no racial divides, but that doesn't matter because just like there's no male or female, but there's still different male and female roles. So there is, is no um, racial differences in, in, in Christians, yet there's still, you know, application um, into preserving the separate races, you know, because that's just unchanged. Now, that may sound like a weak argument, and that's because it is, but we're going to talk about it more. All of these are wrong. All of these are really bad, but it's good to know why, because when you encounter someone who's been told the Bible teaches these things, it helps to be able to walk them through the text so they realize that you're actually showing them what it's really teaching. Let's deal with these each individually. Number one, they say, uh, God separated us by race. He obviously meant us to stay apart. Um, and the passages they'll go to, the first one we'll look at is Acts chapter 17, verse 26. Let's read it. And he made from one man, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. So, What's interesting is this, is that if, <clears throat> let's hypothetically say that we're going to grant those who are opposed to interracial, I use the phrase interracial marriage just to build a bridge here. I don't think there is such a thing. <laughs> Race is a weird, uh, is an unbiblical concept in my view, but, um, but for those who are opposed to this uh, intermarriage of different humans, um, who are both one male, the other female, who's who are opposed to that, they, they want to interpret Acts chapter 17 to support their view, but if they were consistent, then what they would have to also say is that travel is also wrong. Because if God has de determined our boundaries of our dwelling places, then you can't travel outside the nation you're born in 
right? That would be a consistent interpretation if that's what they think Paul is teaching here. Obviously, this isn't what Paul is teaching. This is actually not an affirmation that nations are to always stay separate. You know, he he not only determines their boundaries, which is what they want to focus on, but also there are a lot of periods, meaning a nation comes and then it goes, and one merges with another, and God's determining all of that. Also, this is about nations, not races anyways. What is it about then? Uh, what it's actually about in Acts 17, Paul is witnessing to non-believers, and he just wants them to know that they think, non-believers who are pagans, who are polytheistic, they think their various gods are responsible for their place and their prosperity in the world. That's what they're thinking. And he wants to say, no, 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 no. It is the one God, the single and only God that exists, who created all things. He's the one who has given you the blessing of your home and of the place that you live in. It's God that gets credit, not these pagan deities. That's, that's all he's saying. It's the same lesson that Nebuchadnezzar learned in the Old Testament, the book of Daniel, when he, when he thought, look at all these great things I've done. And finally he realized, wait a minute, there is a, there's a sovereign God who I owe my allegiance to, even though I've ignored him my whole life. That's all Paul is doing. Paul would also affirm that God was sovereign in people's travel and the rise and fall of nations and immigration and the merging of nations and all that other kind of stuff. But ultimately, this verse has absolutely nothing to do with uh, intermarriage. There's a similar verse that we can look at here, and that's Deuteronomy 32, verse 8. Now, this verse says, When the Most High gave to their nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. So God fixed their borders, but this is obviously not permanent because the Bible's full of passages where God is talking about how he's going to move one border over or change a nation and trade nations out. I mean, the whole idea of the Jews going into the land of Canaan is what that God's moving things around. So these things aren't permanent. Um, yeah. It's just, it just has nothing to do with, with interracial marriage in any way, shape, or form. It's just saying that God is sovereign over the nations, including their mergings. Um, all right, so then the call of Abraham is something I want to talk about in refutation of those who are against uh, interracial marriage here. The call of Abraham is in Genesis 12.1. They're going to suggest that God separates us and we should stay sep separate. Now, this is actually a really big point for those who are against interracial marriage. They, they really do lean on this heavily. But... God's call to Abraham directly refutes the idea that um, here what God separates, you, you, you can't bring together, so to speak. That would be maybe a weird sloganized way of doing it. Um, here, Genesis 12, when it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and from your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And he goes on and talks about the blessing. I mean, he says, go from your country and migrate out. So this is the violation of the borders that they say that we're not supposed to... Uh, violate. Now let's talk about the Tower of Babel. Now the Tower of Babel is an interesting passage because it is probably the chief passage I imagine people would go to to support the um, anti-intermarriage view. And it says here in Genesis eleven six. let's just read it through 6 through 9. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they have all one language and this is only the beginning of what they will do and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and Go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from the earth, from over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over all the face, over the face of all the earth. So this passage is interesting because, again, it has nothing to do with 
um, ethnicity has nothing to do with skin color or or ethnic features. It has nothing to do with that. It's all about language. The concern is they're all speaking the same language. So the, if you thought, if you thought and wanted to say that the that the message of of the Tower of Babel is still applied today, that you that you have to preserve what God accomplished with the Tower of Babel then what you really mean is not that you can't marry someone who doesn't share um, ethnic features you do. It means you can't learn other people's languages. That would be the, if you thought that this is the application God has for you, you can't learn other languages. So becoming bilingual, trilingual, multilingual would be a violation of the Tower of Babel because you're you're uniting, therefore, what God separated. Um, I, I, I smile because this is not the point of the Tower of Babel. It's not telling us we can't learn languages. Here we have, you know, in even the New Testament times, we have people learning, you know, Greek from at least learning it better so that they can do more outreach to the, to the Greeks and the, the Roman, the Romans who are speaking Greek. Uh, this is, this is a good thing. This is a positive thing we have in, in the scripture that we're supposed to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. This of course requires learning their languages, which would mean that the Tower of Babel is not supposed to be interpreted that way. And we have, um, this would mean you can't do Bible translation, Right. If you, if this is your view of the Tower of Babel. So it's, it's not about marriage at all. It's about languages. It's not about ethnicity or race. It's about language. And it was not meant to be some permanent um, separation of languages that mankind can never learn each other's languages again. That's just not the message that we get. It's not that that would be inconsistent with Jesus himself to say that uh, when we go to revelation, we see in the throne room of God that there are men and, uh, and women they're they're there from every tribe, every tongue, every people, and they're praising God. So God's bringing that together in Christ. Let's talk about the second point that they'll bring out to fight against um, uh, intermarriage. They say they would say God forbids interracial marriage. And the reason is Deuteronomy 3. I read this verse earlier, 7, verse 3. But what we need to do is read not only this verse, but the following verse. So let's talk about this in context. Context is king, right? You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Now, the way that they want to use Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 3 is to say, you know, hey, boom, um, you cannot marry people of other ethnicities, but you only think that because you're not paying attention. You're, you're not paying attention to the text of scripture. You have an idea in your head and you're looking for a verse to validate it and you found one and you read it out of context. You think this is about race or you think it's about ethnicity. It's not. You think it's about God's universal command for all of mankind. It's not. It's not. So here are some points in response to this. One, Deuteronomy 7 verse 3 is only applied to Israel. It's only applied to Israel. When God actually judges pagan nations for crimes of, of immoral things, you know, moral crimes against God and, hum and humans. He judges them for a list of other things. In Leviticus 19, we read a number of these things. He judges them for um, uh, sexual sins. He judges them for bestiality, homosexuality, incest, intermarrying with people of different ethnicities. It's not one of those things. So God is not dealing with them. This is just for the Jews in particular. Number two, they were all Mid Middle Easterners. Like these are all people from the Middle East. The people that the Jews are being told not to marry are of the same ethnicity as them. What's the difference? Well, this is where we get this is where we get it because it's not about black people, white people, or brown people. It's no, they're all like brown people in this context. What's it actually about? The reason is not racial. If you look at Deuteronomy seven verse four, if you read one verse down, it says, "For they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods, and then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you, and He would destroy you." This is about spirituality. 
The reason why the Jews were told not to intermarry with these other groups, which were of the same ethnicity as them, is because they were worshiping pagan gods and they were going to bring the sin and idolatry and pagan practices into the people of Israel. And God says, I don't want to see any of that, any of that. So we, we can't use this. This is, doesn't work for multiple reasons uh, as supporting the view that, um, that intermarriage is somehow wrong. It was a religious issue, a spiritual issue, not an ethnic issue. And finally, we have the passage in Galatians 3.28. This is the final verse that I mentioned that they'll actually go against or try to explain away. It says here, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There's no male and female. And they say, hey, look, there's no Jew or Greek. Fine. You know, there's no ethnic differences in Christ. But just like there's also no male and female, yet male and female roles still are different within the church. And I would affirm that. Then, you know, therefore, we should still keep separate. Here's two points refuting that view. So in response to this, I want to say that while um, there is a role difference between men and women, there is no relational separation between men and women. And this is a really big deal because what these advocates are saying is that, you know, two different human beings, both Christians, both loving the Lord, they have different ethnic features, therefore they can't get married. That's a massive relational separation between these two people that are one man, one woman. So this is, this is appropriate biblical marriage. But the example they give doesn't relate because whatever difference they want to say there is between men and women, it's not relational. There's no relational difference. It's a role difference, not a relational difference. So there's no application between the two. No way to translate that into their neither Jew nor Greek application. Boy, this is weird Bible study techniques. If you can even understand the logic of it, uh, then you should be able to see what's wrong with it. Also, number two, the advocates here would say... Um, you know, hey, there's male and female roles are still in effect, even though there's no male or female in, in Christ. Well, that's true. But what they want to do is say, therefore, you can't intermarry with other ethnicities. It's still in effect, even though you're in Christ. But it was never in effect in the first place. That's the problem with the view. The view is completely extra biblical. It's forced onto the text of scripture. Biblically speaking, and the people back then, they're not even really thinking about ethnicity the way we are today. The, the emphasis and the focus we have on, on ethnic features and that kind of thing. That's just not how they're processing things. There's, the category is not really something they're working with. So the best parallel here that we can say to modern marriage, inter-ethnic you know, marriage, however you want to call it, would be the Jew or Greek phrase. If there's no Jew or Greek, here's the separation. Here's the major separation that existed that really did exist, right? That Jews were meant to be separate people, holy people. But in Christ, there's a reunification. There's a joining and that we all under Christ can come together. Much of the New Testament is actually about this. There's no remaining separation between them. So Ephesians 1, Galatians in the book of Acts, uh, lots of places in the New Testament, we see this is an obsessive topic for the New Testament writers. In Galatians 2, Peter is actually rebuked. Peter the Apostle is rebuked by Paul because he wouldn't eat with the Gentiles in that environment. And he's so mad that you wouldn't eat with them. And so yet, you know, let me put it this way. If you showed up, in Galatia, and you told Paul that you thought that your you know, inter-ethnic or interracial marriage was, was banned by God, he would give you the same rebuke he did to Peter and tell you that what you were doing is not true according to the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
So that's a pretty significant thing. Read Galatians 2 and consider those points. I'd like to add a few other points from the Old Testament here in particular. And these are examples of intermarriage, intermarriage of different ethnicities as being good. Uh, one example is actually Ruth the Moabite woman. Ruth was a Moabite, and so she had been worshiping pagan gods and all this kind of thing. Yet, in the book of Ruth, she marries Boaz, who is a Jew, who is he's an Israelite, and she marries him, and it's celebrated. It's considered a wonderful thing. She's actually the grandmother of King David, and she's in the genealogy of Jesus. Ruth, she's considered like one of the great people here in the Old Testament. She's, she's in fact, very much one of the, she's the heroine in the book of Ruth. Now, why was it okay for her to marry Boaz when God said not to intermarry with other people, as we read in Deuteronomy? Because she had recanted the gods of her people, the pagan gods, and she turned to the God of Israel. So we see this actually in the book of Ruth, chapter 1, verse 16. Let me put it up on screen for you guys. It says, But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. So Ruth, she says, I am no longer from those people. Even though her genetics were from there, that didn't matter. Her allegiance was to the God of Israel. Her allegiance was to the true God. And so now the Jew is free to marry this Moabite woman, which you know normally he would not be. Why? Because the issue wasn't racial or ethnic or genetic. It was spiritual. She recanted those gods and now um, she's free to marry a Jewish man and does. And it's a really neat story. You should check it out. There's other examples as well. We have Rahab, and Rahab is a Canaanite prostitute, prostitute in the scripture, who turns to the God of Israel and ends up marrying an Israelite, apparently, and becoming uh, one of the people in the genealogy of Jesus. We also have uh, Moses, who marries a Cushite woman. Now, what's interesting about this is, is in the scripture, people come against Moses for this. They're upset that he's married a Cushite woman because she's not a Jew. Now, a Cushite woman's probably from Ethiopia, so Moses probably married a black woman. And here we have um, Moses, a Jewish man, marrying a black woman. And he's challenged by Miriam on this. They make a huge deal about it. And God himself personally defends Moses and his marriage to this woman. Think about that for a minute. Why? Because the woman had probably believed in the God of Israel. And so it was a non-issue because race is an unbiblical concept. We are trivially different. We are essentially the same. Every tribe and tongue is united in Christ when they come to Christ. And then it, this, this then comes down to our New Testament principle and the rule for Christians, which is there is a marriage that God forbids. And what is the marriage that God forbids? What is the marriage God tells you not to enter? Now, if you enter it, you're to preserve that marriage because it's still marriage and God wants you to honor it, but you're not to enter it deliberately. And that is in 1 Corinthians 7.39. And this is, a, this is actually a key text, a key text on this whole issue. If this is the only verse you, you remember for this whole topic, this is the verse you want. And um, here it is, 1 Corinthians 7.39. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she's free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Now that is a very, very interesting phrase, especially if you understand the cultural context of the first century. So she's free to marry whoever she wishes only in the Lord. That's the, that's the, um, the, the person, the limit, the limiting that we have for Christians is don't marry non-believers. That's a spiritual issue again. And that's the only limit on Christians. You can marry anyone she wishes, black, white, brown, somebody else, whatever colors you can come up with, go, go for it. Non-issue. Spiritually, Christians should not unite in marriage with non-believers. Now, if you do marry, Paul also talks about that in 1 Corinthians 7. If you marry a non-believer, 
stay with them, make it work, love them, honor them, you know, do all of the Christian things and, and make this marriage as good as possible. And you should do that. But what's really significant here is this. When you understand the first century context, it adds a whole nother layer to what Paul is saying. So this phrase, she's free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord that I've highlighted on the screen for you. This phrase is uniquely significant in the New Testament times because on the Jewish divorce certificates, now Paul's Jewish and he knows this, they would use this same phraseology. They would say about a woman who's divorced, or, you know, they would specifically say about her, she's quote, free to marry any Jewish man she wishes. It would use the same terminology as Paul, free to marry any Jewish man, um, free to marry whoever she wants only if he's Jewish. It would do this because the, the, the same prohibition that was already existent among Jews. But Paul replaces it for the Christian and he says, look, you can marry whoever you want as long as they're Christian. Now, this was, this was um, earth shaking because he's saying that Jew Gentile, that's not the issue anymore. It's just if they're believers. It's just if they know Christ. So this is important because if there was any prohibition on who you could marry, this is where Paul would write it. He'd write it right here. Free to marry anyone you wish as long as they look like you, right? Like that would be where he'd put it. It wasn't even a concern. This is where any prohibition would occur and it doesn't occur because there isn't a prohibition of that kind. A Christian marrying a non-Christian, that's the prohibition. And this is the same reason the Old Testament had. It's a spiritual reason. It's not ethnic. It is spiritual. You need to be in the Lord, in the Lord. This is a really significant point and we need to learn to obey this command. Now, there are some who are watching this and you're thinking like, oh, I don't really like that. I'm uncomfortable with that. I got this. He's really cute and he's not a Christian and I don't really care. You're rebelling against Christ in that. That's a huge, huge issue. And you are rebelling against God. And you may find ways in which you can think you can reinterpret this, but you're doing, you're just as bad as those who take these passages and try to preach against, um, you know, inter-ethnic marriages you're doing the same thing. You're just doing what you want to suit yourself. We do need to follow this command as believers. If you have already entered a marriage, you make it work. You love God in it. You seek to serve him in it. You pray for your partner's um, salvation and you represent Christ to them. And you don't, you don't take their unbelief as an excuse to sin against them in any way, shape or form. But we need to honor God in this. Now, it's true, as you can see, just from looking at what we've done here today, you can make the Bible say whatever you want, but what we need to do is learn to think biblically about everything. And that's what I'm devoted to on this YouTube channel. If you like this kind of content, learning how to think biblically, work through the problems and come with come up with solid biblical answers, then you might want to subscribe um, and you can like and share the content with someone else to maybe help and bless them. I actually have a lot more content on marriage, divorce, and remarriage, several videos on the topic. I'll link down below in the video description. I just finished a three hour long massive teaching on the topic of divorce and remarriage. And I'll put a link to that as well below, and hopefully it will bless you. Take care.